for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! One. What is going on everybody? Welcome into the Blitz Podcast. Today we are talking about our 12th ranked... 12s the seattle seahawks um fun team to talk about for sure they were nine and eight last season uh make the playoffs as a seventh seed after trading away the guy who's been their franchise quarterback for a very long time in russell wilson and they bring in geno smith he comes in is immediately uh plays like one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl quite frankly last season was definitely playing on a much higher level than russell wilson was in denver um, I've got Mitchell with me wearing his Marshawn Lynch jersey. Very excited here. He's, uh, you know, me personally, I would never buy a uh, jersey from another team. I don't know. Please let us know in the comments what your opinions are on that. Like, even if it's your favorite player, but he plays for another team, would you buy their jersey? While you're doing that, you might as well like, subscribe, all the other stuff. But now I'm going to ask Mitchell how he's doing today. Wow, just what a flow to plug in the YouTube page, like, subscribe, comment. This guy's becoming a natural host. I did. But I'm, uh, you're growing every day and every time you do this. There's been so many fumbles along the way, but you're finally picking right. up the flow. Didn't, I'm just glad to be here. Thing in there, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a learning experience. Everybody has them here and there. You're figuring it out. But yeah, former Seahawk Marshawn Lynch. I'm just. I like their jerseys when they switched to Nike, and plus, Marshawn Lynch was the big thing. It was right after the Beast Quake. I bought it before their Super Bowl win. It was just cool. It made me look like a bandwagon every time I wore it, though, even though I was a Chargers fan. But it was Marshawn Lynch, so you can't complain that much. He just took the league by storm and was too lovable of a guy to not get it. Yeah, as I mean, you were, I don't know how old you were, but in that like Seahawks era, I was like, in late elementary school, early middle school. And like, if you were getting into sports, you were going to be a Seahawks fan. Like that was the team that like, it was either obviously being from Maryland, it was either the Ravens or like, if you were going outside of the state, you were going to be a Seahawks fan because they were like the most popping team at the time. They had these crazy jerseys that they just unveiled. And conveniently enough, like the other team that comes to mind of like teams that everybody flocked to is Oregon, who had like the same kind of jersey concept. And they're both in uh, the um, Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. So um, just kind of weird. Like, and I, I feel like that's kind of like carried Seattle's fan base was that era. And all those kids that were like eight, nine, ten, you know, up to your like what you were like 14, 15 then, something like that. Yeah, I was a freshman. That like became football fans uh, and picked the Seahawks. Like that's what's carried their fan base because, you know, it's not like Seattle's a super big market or anything, but. Anyway, let's talk about their current team, um, and we will start with the quarterback position where, like we said, Geno Smith is the starter here. I mean, if we remember back to training camp and preseason last year, it kind of felt like Drew Locke was going to be the starter here. Like, he was younger. Uh, he had been a backup. He had been a starter, like, back and forth in Denver, and Geno Smith had been a backup here in Seattle for a very long time didn't pan out. I mean, he was a 2013 draft pick. It'd been almost 10 years since he got drafted. Um, 
last season and you get Drew Locke and it's like, all right, well, he was the return that we got for Russell Wilson. Let's just roll with him, see if this works. If not, we're picking in the top four or five. We'll get a quarterback next year. Instead, they roll with Geno Smith, and I think that is a testament to Pete Carroll and how he's like, you know what, if you play well, we're, you're going to play, regardless of you know what the front office thinks, regardless of what the investment was in you, you're going to play. And Geno Smith comes in and balls out. This was, I mean, like I said, played like a top 10 quarterback last year, ultimately was the right decision. And because of how bad Russell Wilson was in Denver, they still got that top five pick that they wanted. So very, very fun conversation because on the flip side, you know, We've never seen this level of play from Geno Smith. Even when he came into the league, he's had some multiple stops in multiple places. We've never seen Geno Smith play as well as he did last season. And it really did kind of tail off towards the end. I don't want to turn this into a Geno hate thing because I'm really surprised and I'm very impressed with how he played. Uh, but as good as he was in the first half of last season, it did tail off towards the end. So there's a little bit of you know, skepticism as to... Could he carry that last second half of the season into this year? And is that more like what Gino is? Or is he more of the guy that we saw in the first half? What do you think? Yeah, I, you sum it up pretty perfectly. He is, the verdict's still out. And we're riding the fence perfectly on him. Because we have him ranked 15th, middle of the pack. He's coming off a year with 4,200 yards and 30 touchdowns. And just an absurd amount of weapons. So if he can't get it done then he'll never get it done again. Last year was a complete shock. I'll read off his grades really quick, starting from his rookie year. 60.7, 57.1, 60.3, 65, 70.9, 2018 with the Chargers, 20.6, 62.2, 73.9 when he was filling in for Russ, and then 79.8. So I think he somewhat adjusted to like Pete Carroll's setup when he got that playing time when Russ was out. And that helped him a lot. And they just have the weapons to make him work. But, again, it's the first full season we've actually seen him put together and look like a competent starting quarterback. So I think we're hedging our bet just enough with our ranking on him. But I think he should at worst probably be up mid to upper 3,000 yards, probably mid-20s touchdowns as a floor, just because we'll get to the playmakers on the next line, but there's no reason why he should be under that. And based on how Pete Carroll makes it sounds, he makes it seem like Drew Locke could be a starter on any other team in the NFL. He just hypes up his guys so much that if Geno is the guy and he reverts back to what he was in like the Jets days, then I don't think Pete Carroll would hesitate to put in Drew Locke. But hopefully Geno does not revert back to that. He just keeps up what we saw last year that earned him comeback player of the year. Yeah, and like, you said he was absolutely phenomenal. He finishes uh, tied for seventh in yards. He finishes uh, ninth in PFF grade uh, for this past season. He also was sec tied for second in big time throws and third in big time throw percentage. Uh, shout out to bootleg football for this stat. I heard, uh, I can't remember if it was 15 yards or 20 yards or more down the field. When you're throwing that far down the field, usually you're hoping for your quarterback to have about a 30, 33, somewhere around there completion percentage on those throws because those are usually more difficult throws. Last season, Geno Smith completed 51% of his passes that are considered deep passes. So they were, when they were throwing deep, they completed it more times than not, which is almost like insane to think that like if you see a quarterback like cock back and throw it, and that he's got a higher chance of it being completed than being incomplete, that's insane. Like, if you just, like, think about that in the context of I'm watching a game and that's how you think about it, 
it, that's very rare to see. So I think 15 is fine. And I think that's us hedging a little bit because if he goes up, like, I don't know, like, what is his ceiling this year? <sighs> Probably like 10. Because yeah. he's consistent and he's got good weapons, but nobody's going to want to push him up too far just because he is in his 30s and we're just now seeing this from him. It's a little different. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with us like fence riding here and being right down the middle on him and not jumping to conclusions or writing him off because Lord knows we don't want to write God him damn off. It. God damn it. You <laughs> fucking lined yourself up there. <sighs> uh, yeah. I, I'd agree. I'd th- I think he doesn't. That 10 spot is so weird because there's so many questions about, like, the guys from, like, 10 to 15. Obviously, you can't see two of them quite yet. But Geno, Stafford, Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins, like, you're not certain what you're going to get from any of those guys. I think Kyler Murray, like, would be my pick to be at 10, but he's obviously got the injury thing. We don't know how many games of Kyler Murray there's going to be this upcoming season, and that is the big problem and why we have them ranked 12. If we know that we're getting a fully healthy Kyler Murray, I think he does – put himself in that top 10 but he's not and this is not a cardinals episode this is about geno smith now the floor here the floor here is a very interesting conversation because geno smith to the point of last season was a career backup which you know mathematically would have you as 32 or really lower i don't know if with these weapons and with this roster around him that he can go that low but I definitely think that there's a world where that big time throw regression comes back and they're com- he's completing maybe 25% of those, which is obviously not what you're hoping for. That's even less than what like league average or what you would aspire to be at uh, at a third. If he's completing maybe 20 or 25% of those and this offense really takes a step back, um, you know one of the Seattle running backs is going to get hurt because that's just what happens when you put the uniform on. Um I don't know. I think somewhere in the early 20s could be like the worst case scenario, but I still think that if that happens, I still think Seattle's like a competitive team. Like we talked about this roster. It's so talented. We do have two groups that aren't ranking as highly. Um, we'll talk about those in a little bit, but we the other two groups really high. Super high. And we'll get into that group right now or one of those two groups right now, and that is the playmakers here. I mean, what else can we say? This was a top group last season, uh, and they continue to add to it. They spend one of their two first-round picks, number number 21 or 20, overall on Jackson Smith 20. and Jigba. 20, yep. Um, on Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first receiver off the board, was a lot of people's wide receiver one, um, was a slot-only type of wide receiver. I remember we did a mock draft episode. You had him going at nine to Chicago. You were really big or really high on Jackson Smith and Jigba at that time. Um, they get him at 20 uh, to go perfectly right here with two really nice perimeter uh, options in DK Metcalf, who I think is one of the, I mean, not really a hot take here, but is definitely one of the best young receivers in the NFL, um, can do not so many things for you, but is so good at the few things that he does that it just also, he's a get off the bus, like, oh shit. like we This are, guy's going to run me the fuck over. <laughs> and then on the complete other end of that, is Tyler Lockett, who falls down every time he catches the ball now, which is fine because he catches the ball a lot and he's able to get a lot of yards out of those, but he's not giving you a whole lot after the catch at this point in his career, but still a very productive receiver, still 
has been one of the most underrated receivers, still is one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL, especially when, you know, like those days where it was Russ. And like, I remember always the fantasy conversation around Tyler Lockett was, you just don't want to be the guy that's playing Tyler Lockett the one week that Russell Wilson decides (laughs) that this is Tyler Lockett's week. Like he was on those weeks was one of the most deadly players. It felt like there was like once a year where he'd get like 50 and he'd be like top 10 fantasy scoring ever. Like he's definitely got like in the top 50 fantasy performances ever. He's definitely got at least two or three of those. And I know he's got one in the top 10 because I, I, that night against Arizona where DK hawked down Buda Baker and Tyler Lockett had like 50 points on Sunday night football. I'll never forget that. I wasn't playing him that day, and I don't think I had him either, but I just remember, like, the group chat just, like, blowing up, like, oh, my God. This is, he's got, like, oh, my God, he's got three now. And um, I guarantee you he was on somebody's bench. Nobody yeah. was playing oh. at that point. Um, and then tight end, you got Noah Fant here, who I think, honestly, is just going to be underutilized here. I mean, we're going to – we talked about those three receivers that are fantastic. We're going to talk about the running backs in a second. I think Noah Fant could be, like, a – like a Darren Waller light type of player uh, a little bit doesn't run block as well very um, light <laughs> very very light but like if you made like if you put him in that Vegas situation where he was the wide receiver one effectively for them I think Noah Fant could put up numbers way more numbers than he's putting up here in Seattle he has no space to do it though here <laughs> he has no space like he better convert he better score touchdowns especially for fantasy purposes Noah Fant better score a touchdown if you're starting him uh, then we get to the running backs, which is the most frustrating backfield, at least right now, in my opinion. I think Philadelphia definitely will have a conversation because it's we don't know if any of those guys are good. Like, And it's just like, well, if one guy gets hurt, the other guy is great. But even then, there's two or three guys behind him. But here in Seattle, it's really just going to be these two. Um, both of them got like dinged up on the Heard same already. day. <laughs> on the same, like the reports came back, back of like, Kenny Walker just did this and Zach Charbonnet just did this. I mean, you were right. They put on the jersey, so they put themselves at risk yeah. just by doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you the the jersey comes with a cast. It, it comes with crutches. Um, but Kenny Walker last year was phenomenal uh, in his rookie season. Rashad Penny, uh, there's the bit, um, gets hurt <laughs> in week five or six. I was like, I had Rashad Penny. I was like, Makes this sense. is it. I was waiting. I was waiting for this. It happened. He had like a 28-point game. Boom, snaps his leg in half uh, the very next week. And then it's Kenny Walker time and was like the waiver wire edition of the year uh, for anybody that got him. And as a dynasty owner of Kenny Walker, I was like, well, this is awesome. I've got like the dynasty RB two or three. And then they draft the running back in the second round again after hitting on one the year before, which was extremely frustrating for a lot of people. Um, and it's... They had to make room is, for the cast. Yeah. <laughs> they knew what would happen. And... <laughs> Like, they're going to run Kenny Walker on outside zone stuff, and I think that they're going to try and do that a little bit more here. They're going to run Zach Charbonnet a little bit more in between the tackles, running that duo and stuff like that, that they tried to run with Kenny Walker last year, but he wasn't as effective with it just because that's not the kind of runner that he is. Um, I've went in depth about every single one of these players now, so if you want to say something. Not McIntosh. I've got you here. Oh, yeah, that was the <laughs> – McIntosh would be you the guy to him. get third down work, I feel like, yeah. just because yeah, he's a good anyway. receiving back. But just going back to like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, I did the fantasy slide for this, and since 2018, Tyler Lockett hadn't been been below 200 points once in fantasy. I mean, just looking at his PFF grades, that was his fourth year in the league. Before that, he was high 60s and 76 his rookie year. 
he is the face of consistency. You're never going to get the upper echelon talent for a full season. You'll get it in spurts, like in the rush years. He'd randomly have these games where he just went insane. But he will produce year in and year out, and you know what you're going to get from him. And then seems like DK's in the same path right now. I mean, after that rookie year where it was kind of just boom-bust touchdowns, he's still got like 180 fantasy points. He's been over 200 every year with him. And then you wedge in Jackson Smith and Jigba in the middle of that just to add an element of quick game, short passes, and even deeper slot routes. I mean, the way we talked about Geno Smith, his floor is only the low 20s because of these three. And frankly, if he completely falls off the face of the earth, these three should be able to pick him up as long as they're healthy. But they aren't running back, so that shouldn't be an issue with injuries. I do kind of worry about Kenny Walker's like dynasty ranking just because Charbonnet is great up the middle and he might be the goal line guy and is a little more useful at receiving. Granted, neither of them are great receiving backs. That's probably more McIntosh's alleyway. And it just remains to be seen who's going to be the guy to get all the points or is it just going to be evenly spread like it has been between Lockett and DK so far. Either way, there's no real weak spot. I mean, Fant could be said to be a weak spot, but tight end's a weak position anyway. And if he's middle of the pack, that's serviceable. And then Will Disley coming off the bench is a good red zone target for them. Yeah, I mean, and they've also got Colby Parkinson here, which I watched like a two or three minute video on the other day of this guy that like absolutely loves Colby Parkinson. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> what is right? needs to trade like a late day two pick for Colby Parkinson. Uh, it's like, you know what? You, you got me convinced. Um, but I honestly think like the Charbonnet Kenny Walker thing is going to be weird. And the worst part about it is I think Kenny McIntosh makes it like 10 times worse is because neither of these guys, can no PPR passes. that's what's valuable in PPR formats, which is what everybody's doing now and running a standard and Kenny McIntosh, who's going to be the third guy on this depth chart. That's what he does. And then he's going to get, so then he's going to be on the field for third down stuff. And then these two are going to be splitting first and second down work. And we're just going to get like every set of downs. It's going to be one guy, then the next guy, then the next guy. And nobody's happy. Like I, I am staying away from the Seattle backfield. Unfortunately, I had Kenny Walker in dynasty and our, you know, in the dynasty chicken league. Um, I'd love to get rid of him, but nobody's <laughs> going to give me fair value now. So. But it is. I already you gotta wait for him to... drafted Sharp. I literally just said I'm staying away from him, and I had both of them at one point in time. But I did trade Charbonnet to uh, Blitzpot Legend Kane Schwartz. Um, but yeah, this is our highest ranked playmaking group so far. It's going to be honestly, I think what carries this group or what carries this team is just the fact that they've got you know one, two, three, four, five, six weapons that like teams would be trying to acquire if they became available. Um, that I mean, hey, um, goddamn D. Eskridge also here. Oh yeah, forgot about him. Also here, I believe was a deep down the depth chart two or three years ago. Struggled with some injuries, but he's also on this depth chart as well. I don't actually know if he's on this depth chart. He wasn't on the R lads when I was filling okay. yeah. it up. So <laughs> he's more like depth chart utility stuff at this point. Yeah. I think. Um, but you know, maybe you get something out of him. Maybe they end up. Uh, maybe one of these guys missed some time. He comes in, and then they could trade him for a pick at the deadline. I don't know. All right, moving on to the offensive line here, where things get a little bit more quiet. Uh, this is a group that ranks 21st. Uh, the talk of the town last year in Seattle was this pair of starting tackles that were rookies. You know, very rarely do you see uh, even one starting rookie tackle because teams like to bring those guys along, and they've got two of them. 
Uh, Charles Cross was the number nine overall pick in last year's draft. And then Abraham Lucas, I believe, was a second-round pick, one of their two second-round picks because they had one from Denver. Uh, they both played fine. Like, I think that the media kind of over, you know, overhyped them as far as how good they were because they were two starting rookie tackles. But they were not like Rashawn Slater or Tristan Wirfs or those guys when they came in and they were starting and they were like fantastic all pro level players as rookie tackles. And I think that kind of got lost. Um, so they're going to be, you're hoping for, you know, some progression from them, obviously, as in guys in year two, tackles in year two, you hope you see a step from them. The interior, look, you're, this isn't super exciting. Like Damian Lewis is probably like the best offensive lineman here. And a lot of people yeah. don't even know who that is. Like, I was like, it was the uh, highest graded one. Yeah. And like, it was just kind of weird because like he did, I think he was a third or fourth round pick in his draft and he just kind of developed quietly here in Seattle. Um, you got Evan Brown coming over from Detroit, uh, was kind of a liability for them last year uh, at guard. So maybe he turns it around at center. I don't really know. Um, and then you got Phil Haynes here who battled with Gabe Jackson for the right guard spot last year. Gabe Jackson was obviously getting paid a lot more. So to see Phil Haynes, you know, hold his own and then eventually take this starting job as Gabe Jackson gets let out the door, uh, that's good. But what do you what do you have to say about this uh, offensive line group? Yeah, like you mentioned, Damian Lewis is kind of a sneaky good player on this offensive line. He did he outperformed both of the rookie tackles. Cross has a lot of work to do in run blocking still, but that was kind of expected coming out of college. Yeah. Yeah. And Lucas was pretty solid all around, but I don't I don't think they're poised for a massive breakout. I think they'll both be solid players in the NFL. I think Lewis has a higher chance of breaking out than the other two because he is going into his contract year, and he's been a steady grader so far. He could break out. Phil Haynes is definitely the guy they need to improve on the most because he had a pretty low grade overall, and I think Evan Brown could end up losing this job by the end of the year. Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan. I loved him coming out of the draft. I think they got an absolute steal out of him. And what, they get him in the third, I think? He's got a lot of potential, and he's a great player. And then they also got Anthony Bradford in, I think, around the same time as Olu. Uh, and he can play on the interior. He can take over for Haynes if needed to, if it's that bad for him. I like his opportunity. I like his chances as a young player. See if he can just fill in and be a little more than – it's going to sound mean, but a liability like Haynes. Haynes is clearly the weak link at this point, I think. And if they can get anything out of Bradford in training camps or preseason, they should push him into the starting job, try to just get him developing and hope their draft pick hits again. Because last year, pretty much every pick hit for them. They clearly have something going on pretty well here with Dan Schneider and Pete Carroll. I think they're starting to figure things out in the draft. John after Schneider. One. <laughs> Wrong one. My bad. Close. Close. I mean, I, I get it. Um, Enough Snyders. Yeah. So I'm looking at this in 21, and, like, if I were making these rankings, and I don't know what I did, I very well have had this switched, and if I did, I hate myself. But definitely would put the Giants offensive line in front of Seattle's. They're at t the Giants are at 24 for those that are listening on audio. Those that are listening on audio, though, should go check it out on Instagram. and like <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Do you know how much difference you had in their rankings? I'm looking oh, at it right dude, now. No, stop. 17 versus 24th. No way. Giants were 24th, 17th for the Seahawks. I'm a bad guy. We ranked them at the same spot, and I had the Giants only like three away. Came in the 16. 
Tyler had them at 26. That's what dragged it down. I do feel like the Giants have more, like, glaring liabilities. They have the centerpiece left tackle, but I don't think anybody's glaringly horrible. The thing is, I like Evan Neal a lot. So I would. that's another reason why. I don't know why. That's I why this I said like this. Yeah. My mistake. I'm not good at this. So that would explain why. Um, all right. Moving on to this front seven. I said there were two problem spots outside of quarterback. Um, and then there were two really bright spots. We already went over one of the problem spots in the offensive line. This is probably going to be the other one here in the front seven. Um, they have been a team that has obviously over these last two drafts like we praised their last draft in 2023 we praised their 2022 draft in those drafts other than the Boye Mafe pick in 2022 they have not really invested in the front seven really and that's been kind of a problem here recently like they bring in Bobby Wagner I really think that like everybody saying that he's not good anymore is kind of yeah. like he was First in PFF grade among tackles last year. He's still going to be a dominant run defender. It's just a matter of is he can he run and chase? Carry. But I also think <laughs> I also think that like you know being in the NFL and being a Hall of Fame linebacker, he's got the knowledge to like make some mental uh, decisions that can make up for his lack of physical quickness. Like at this point in his career, like a guy like just on this team, no hate for this fella, but Jordan Brooks, like he doesn't have the mental quickness, but he can make up for that with his speed and actual quickness. Bobby Wagner just sees the play already and he's already there. Um, I definitely don't think he's the best linebacker in the NFL anymore. Um, But I definitely think like there's a world where he is. Yeah. Like he's, he still could be a top five, top eight linebacker in the NFL for Seattle. And they desperately need that here. Um, on each edge, you have Daryl Taylor and Uchenna and Wosu. You're just not super excited about either one of those guys. Uh, not Taylor, good run defenders. Yeah, I was about to say, Daryl Taylor is your definition of a pass rush specialist. He is giving you absolutely Uchenna nothing too. in run defense. One of the worst run defenders in the NFL. Same thing with Uchenna and Wosu. They're you know just pass rushers. And we talked about it a little bit before the show. Um, they do bring in BT Jordan here. That's been like one of the quieter raves among, you know, all the people that love talking about the assistant coaching pickups. They're all talking about BT Jordan going to Seattle. This is like the uh, Duke Manyweather for any of you who knows who that is. The off- He's a big like offensive line guru, does his like own thing now. Uh, I can't remember what team he was last with, but he like- he's done a lot of work with the Chargers. Yeah. Like every tackle we have. Yeah, and like he's like like the offensive line whisperer, but he doesn't like actually work for anybody. That's what BT Jordan was uh, for Michigan State last year, but he was off doing his own thing. Like during the summer, he had like a lot of the top edges in the NFL, like working with him, uh, kind of like the edge rush whisperer, the pass rush whisperer. And Seattle, I'd imagine they don't really release contract info for assistant coaches, but I'm going to go on a limb here and say that they gave him a bag. Because not only is he, you know, making the jump to the NFL, but there were a bunch of millionaires <laughs> that were paying him to work on, work with him, and now they're working exclusively for Seattle. And yes, they absolutely need it because the names on this defensive front are not very high, and they're just going to hope that they get coached up here. Um, the best player here, other at least on the front, uh, and is probably Draymond Jones, who they bring in here. They get him uh, very early in free agency. And had they have tried to sign him probably two or three days later, the price would have gone up by like four or five million a year. 
because the interior defensive line market exploded all of a sudden and you know now he's going to be um really a nice value especially if he can be the guy that he was in denver but also not giving you a whole lot in the run defense part department he's going to be that pass rush specialist and that's why you're really hoping that these linebackers in jordan brooks and bobby wagner can pick up that slack that these guys are going to leave here it's just a really unbalanced group and you just really hope that you know bobby wagner can make up for the lapses and run cut run defense and you just hope that these guys who aren't like premier pass rushers by any stretch but are pass rushing specialists can play like premier pass rushers yeah this group they're solid pass rushers i'll give them that everybody can pass rush but last year they were ranked 30th oh, in yeah. rushing yards per game 30th the team the only teams that were worse than them were houston and chicago the two worst teams in the nfl that were always behind them chargers the didn't Ch- make that list Nope, they gave up five less yards per game, and the Lions gave up four less yards per game. They were 30th out of 32, and they made one move that actually made them better. Granted, it was Bobby Wagner who had a 91.1 run defense grade, but Bobby Wagner can't do it on his own. Hopefully, he can play call and adjust on the field, but there are other pickups on D-line, and Jaron Reed, he didn't even get the 60 in run defense. Yeah. yeah, he's just covering a hole in Draymond Jones, like you mentioned. His run defense grade was horrible. He had 41.8. They are going to be weak on that front line. The linebackers should be fine. Brooks is explosive enough, and with Wagner's savviness and play recognition, he can probably guide him in the right direction. So maybe they don't give up massive runs, but it's not going to help that they're going to be getting about four yards every time unless Bobby Wagner's accurately predicting which hole they're going to go through because as great as he is, he can't carry the other six guys on his back. Yeah. Run defense is not a one man can fix this problem. Like you can do that with pass rushers conveniently enough, which is kind of weird that they haven't done that. Um, Like they can, you can fix your pass rush with one like super, super big signing or come close to it. Chenna and um, Taylor both had about 10 sacks. Yeah. They were pretty solid. Which one of them, had no it was um daryl taylor daryl taylor had 27 pressures last year and converted them into sacks like uchenna was steady and then he was all or nothing you gotta imagine that because i was about to write that in for you uchenna wosu but um it was actually uh daryl taylor here that did that but you gotta imagine that that takes a step back like he's really gonna have to pick up his pressure numbers if he wants this pass rush to stay as productive as it was i mean when you see see oh we got 10 sacks from each of our edge rushers that's really good but then when you look you know a little bit pressure you see the pressure numbers and one of those guys is really carrying (sighs) in the pressure department and twice as many pressures as daryl taylor despite the same amount of sacks so that's they have they have some youth coming in with like Derek Hall. He Derek can Hall, be a yes. little better. Yeah. And then Boye Mafe is not a front He's I the think same Boye mold as the is kind of I think same mold that, as the other two. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't say it was a waste of a second round pick quite yet. I just I don't know if he's gonna pan out. I kinda thought of him as more of a third, fourth round guy with some athletic pure, tools. He's a pure gadget pass rusher. You yeah. you want him as a specialist and, and that's it. I feel like, I mean, maybe, hey, and, you know, I talked about BT Jordan. Maybe he fixes that, and maybe he can get Boye Mafe going. And if, you know, if he can get Boye Mafe and um, Derek Hall going, you've got four, let's just call them average pass rushers. That's a lot more than a lot of teams have. Like, that's 
that's a legit asset, especially when you've got uh, the rest of you know that offense is explosive but it, as it is. And this secondary transition moment. Um, Same. That is very good. You know, we have this group at third, which is very high. And I'm going to be, I'm going to just say it. If you think that's too high, you might be right. But I think, and I had them very high as well. And I'm pretty sure you did as well. If I'm not mistaken here, this wasn't like a one person I can, carries the whole. I can rip it off real quick for you guys. I, yeah, you and me. We both had them at two. Mm-hmm. Tyler had them at four. Kane had them at sixth. We're both very high on the Seattle secondary, and I think that's because we are both high on Devon Witherspoon. You know, we both really liked what we saw from him in Illinois. Like, uh, I heard somebody say, like, he plays, like, he got the play call said into his ear before then, the play started. And he just, he can blow up plays, you know, even in run defense, he can go in and blow up plays. He's a phenomenal cover player. This, like, I'm not saying that he's going to be Sauce Gardner in year one, but he could have a phenomenal rookie season for a corner. Like, we could go on a run, like how we did with tackles for two years, where we get an all-pro as a rookie in back-to-back classes um, from the same position with uh, Werfs and Slater. We could get that with Gardner and Witherspoon. You also have Tariq Woolen here, who had a phenomenal rookie season in his own right, was pushing Sauce Gardner for rookie of or for defensive rookie of the year. Whether that was rightful or not, we will not talk about. Um, but it happened. Uh, um, you also in the slot. You also have Michael Jackson here. Don't get it confused. It's not that. It's not that Michael Jackson. It's not that Michael Jackson. Um, who's going to be playing the perimeter corner here. And, you know, depending on whose depth chart you look at, I'm pretty sure Seattle probably put out their, like, official one uh, for training camp. I know a lot of teams around the league did that one or two days ago, and we put this together before that. Um, so is with it? did you see it? Did you happen to see it or no? I can look it up really quick, but I'd imagine he takes over the spot for Michael Jackson. Yeah, so, like, there's a world where Devon Witherspoon plays outside on the perimeter and Kobe Bryant, who played in the slot for them last year, who quite again also not that Kobe pretty Bryant. solid. Don't get confused there. <laughs> What's with them in famous names? Are they just yeah, mistaking yeah, it when they go through? This is just it's just what they do. Um, also, fun fact: Tariq Woolen, no longer Tariq Woolen, kind of went under the radar. Reek Woolen. I mm-hmm. saw that. I kept looking at it. I was like, why is it cutting his name I off? Whenever I looked at and I was like, I searched Tariq Woolen and nothing showed up. I was like, what? It's Reek Woolen now, kind of like the, but I feel like like the Shaq Leonard thing and like the Odafe Owe, like that was much more publicized. Like I heard nothing about the Tariq Tariq. I didn't either. Tariq it's on their depth chart to, as Reek Woolen. Tariq change um, he made there. Um, but Oh God, they have Devin Bush as the starting linebacker. Well, that's go, dude. Steelers. But Witherspoon's not listed as a starter on here, and Kobe like Bryant is a strong safety. He's oh, Lord, right dude, behind dude. Michael Jackson. What the hell? I guess Jamal Adams technically on PUP still, recovering from his. Well, I think it was attended, but which, I think he can make a big impact. This is just yeah. a deep group in general. Yeah, and which brings us to the safety room. You know, Quandre Diggs got a big contract, uh, I believe, after last season. Played very well. Um, Kind of took a step back this year, but was still a very serviceable safety for them. And then you also have Jamal Adams here, who a lot of people forget is here. I put him as the big player on this graphic because I believe in how good he can be. Like, when he's playing at his highest, you know, he was a guy that was worth two first. Well, he was a guy that was worth a first round. A first. <laughs> he got traded for two, 
and that has not worked out for Seattle. And somehow they've been able to rebound and create this great roster again. Uh, so credit to John Snyder uh, for in. that. But when Jamal Adams is playing and he's healthy, he is like truly one of the two or three best safeties in the NFL. Especially, you know, he's one of the Up best, front. if not, yeah, especially if not the best blitzing safety in the NFL. And it was not a bad, like was a good coverage player. It's just once he got to Seattle, that kind of fell off and he was not no longer a good coverage player. We talked about, you know, maybe Witherspoon moves outside to play the perimeter. Um, and Adams is slot, plays slot. There's a world where Jamal Adams comes down and plays slot. There's also a world where Julian Love, who they brought in from the Giants, also comes sneaky. down and plays slot. Very sneaky signing for them. He can play at slot corner or he can play at safety while Jamal Adams is down playing slot corner. They have a lot of versatility with this secondary, and that is part of the reason why we're so high on them. I'll let you explain why a little bit why you're so high on them. I mean, in addition to like everything we were worried about in the run game, you have like we mentioned, Devon Witherspoon, who seems like he gets the play call every once in a while and just blows up a play in the backfield. And then you have a bruiser like Jamal Adams who can just run to the line and blow up a play. It makes me a little less worried about what the front seven's going to lack, even with Bobby Wagner, because you have a second line of defense that can kind of patch things up. And with that safety trio, you can move them anywhere and make it work because Julian Love is probably the only reason why that Giants secondary did not fall apart last year. His flexibility to play anywhere on the field is just underrated. And I think he can, he'll, he'll be a much better coverage guy than Jamal Adams. They're probably going to be more likely to leave him back at like a true safety position rather than a slot. I think it's only a matter of time before Michael Jackson kind of falls out of the starting lineup and Witherspoon and Kobe Bryant are more of your actual guys who are going to be on the field. But <laughs> right now with our graphic, if it's just Michael Jackson is the weak spot probably, and he's not even that bad. We're just kind of crapping yeah. on him because we love the other guys so much more. There's not a weak spot here, and they have depth. If somebody goes down, they have another guy at the ready trying to get more playing time and probably earn a starting job next year. They can really just do so many things with how many people they have and make up for the lack of talent on the defensive line. Yeah, and even guys that we didn't talk about as far as depth goes, I mean, we talked about Kobe Bryant, who's in little font here, but Trey Brown is a solid yeah. corner. Like, if he if somebody goes down, he can fill in. I also think, you know, Steelers legend Artie Burns, who had a couple good games uh, in Chicago – could also step in and be a serviceable corner for you as well. Same thing as Michael Jackson if he doesn't end up getting the starting job, which it kind of feels like he isn't, especially with the youth movement going on in the secondary. I feel like it'll end up being Witherspoon, Woolen, and Kobe Bryant uh, as your three starting corners with Bryant in the slot. Um, I will say, and this is kind of a hot topic, I guess, especially in the secondary, is the Tariq Woolen thing. Tariq. Um, I'm just going to – I'm just, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm going to give you, like, who is your, like, if you had to compare him to another player in the NFL, who is it? And I feel like this I is mean, you know who it's going to be. It's a layup. Yeah, it's Javon Diggs. Mm -hmm. It's just boom or bust. He sells out for it, but it kind of works if they keep running the cover three. He's not going to be as big of a liability. Yeah, and that's, like, kind of why I think they went out and got Witherspoon was because – it's the same reason why the Cowboys went out and got Stephon Gilmore was because if you've got a guy, and I know Gilmore maybe not locking up a side of the field anymore, but he can, 
And the same way that I think Witherspoon can, if they he can lock down one side of the field and you let Tariq Woolen just kind of play safety on the other side of the field while guarding a guy um, and just let him make plays, that's where he's going to be best at. One of my greatest draft calls in the two years that I've done anything involved with draft calling him to the was Seahawks. calling Tariq Woolen to the Seahawks. I Granted, it was three rounds later than we ever thought. It was too early, but apparently it was still around late because if the Seahawks, if that draft was done again today, I definitely think Tariq Woolen's going in the first round. And I'd, you know, I'd hope it to be to Seattle so that way I can look good again. But, I mean, I thought that was one of, one of especially like picking the team too fantastic by me just just gonna throw that out there i do actually uh i do i do this i do this i do that i do this all right moving I'm, on unless you you got anything else for the secondary uh yeah i i think the witherspoon comparison to gilmore would be great for him like just the same idea of Diggs versus him because witherspoon gave up one catch in press man coverage last year he used, he can go one-on-one with anybody and he's feisty He's not going to give up an inch to you, and he's going to make you earn every catch. I think it'd just be a great tandem to have. Yeah, just I'm, two guys that are like puzzle pieces of what they do well, just mixing together and let one do one thing and one do the other. Yeah, like we both said, we love Witherspoon. Like we think, why do my lights keep flickering? I um, don't. We I don't know. We both like love Witherspoon. Think he can be. I, I would not be surprised if he's a top five corner in the NFL within the next two years. Um, like he can be that good and if they have that guy here with Tariq Woolen that makes the secondary even better because you've got like a little yeah damn it we're (laughs) gonna move on so that way I don't keep saying it one of the coaching staff here in Seattle which has been pretty much well the head coach has been the same here for a little bit 2010 11 something like that somewhere around there so 13 14 years some number of years for Pete Carroll here in Seattle um and it was kind of like a uh, like a Bill Belichick, Tom Brady thing after uh, going into last season anyway, where it was like, well, who who's the reason for the Seattle success? And there's like a third uh, Legion of Boom party in that conversation as well. But it was like, was it Pete or was it Russell Wilson? And by God, pretty resoundingly, Pete swing one way. Um, Pete Carroll takes Geno Smith career backup, goes to the playoffs. Russell Wilson has a good Denver team at five wins and awards a number five overall draft pick to Pete as a uh, last parting gift. So that's fun. And it's our guy, Devon Witherspoon. Um, but what mostly needs to be talked about here is Pete Carroll and the culture that he brings. You know, he, I think at this point in his career is definitely much more of a culture guy than he is like a defensive guru or anything like that, which you probably is what was the conversation around him during those Legion of Boom eras when they were, you know, one of the two or three best teams in the NFL for five or six years straight. Um, definitely more of a culture guy at this point. He is 72 years old. And that was a big conversation point last year is like, well, is he going to stick around for a rebuild? And it doesn't look like the Seahawks are rebuilding anytime soon. You know, they took those Denver draft picks, made the most of them. And, you know, we could be talking about a Super Bowl team here in Seattle, definitely a playoff team for sure. Um, but that culture of, look, if you play well in practice and you perform in training camp, you're going to play on Sunday and if you play well on Sunday, you're going to keep playing on Sunday. And that was kind of the mentality that got Geno Smith this job and ultimately is what pushed Seattle into the playoffs. Yeah, Pete's just a fun guy to be around, it seems like. Everybody's seen the video. Like, he was pretty much oogling over DK, obviously, when he's shirtless because he's built like a freaking Greek god. And then he comes in for a team meeting, 
like pre-draft process and Pete just pulls his shirt off and just hey, I feel like you now pretty much he's one of those guys that's going to get the most out of every player he brings in he's just a player's coach and I think it's kind of going underrated that the let Russ Cook movement that he had Russ felt like he was being held back I think that ended up hurting them because I if I'm not wrong, I feel like his passing stats went down when they were trying to force Russ into more pass-happy opportunities rather than the ground-and-pound, set-up-the-play-action, downfield shots. I mean, at this point, you can't even argue it because he managed to bring back a resurgence of Geno Smith. Russ was a great quarterback, and he had higher highs than Geno. He's a better quarterback at his highest moments, for sure. At his highest moments. Here's a conversation. Is Russell Wilson a Hall of Famer? I think he's going to kill it at this point. Like, if he really? looks anything like he did last yeah, year, he might thing, fall out. Like, uh, he doesn't have any like, MVP votes. He's st- yeah, he's got no MVP. He's like, never had no first. I don't place think he's votes, had four thousand no MVP votes at all. Like no, like fifth. Place I don't think any at all. Jesus Christ! Me, um, I don't. He's had four thousand passing yards in a year either. Or if it was, it was just barely above it. Is his legacy like equal to Joe Flacco's at this point? It's not good. All right. Let me look up his career high for passing yards. Um, his career high for passing yards is less than what Gino had last year. He had 4,200 mm. twice, and it was just less than what Gino had. Gino had an extra game, but he has four 4,000 yard passing seasons, and the highest was 4,219. Do you want to say like resounding no so I can put it on a quote graphic? Ah, uh, resounding maybe. It's trending down. <laughs> because I was on board for Russell. Until last year, I was on board. I thought he was well on his way because he's been nothing but consistent when he was in Seattle, steadily producing mid-20s passing touchdowns, upper 30s passing yards, and just never quite eclipsing into the elite range. And I thought the stats would stack up if he could keep healthy, but it's not looking good now. <laughs> I mean, he struggled to have more passing touchdowns than bathrooms in his home last year. So, yeah, I'm going to put that's not going to get any fucking clicks, Mitchell, on a quote graphic and post it tonight. Um, But (laughs) another reason why Geno Smith was so successful last year and why that transition was, uh, I guess, so smooth um, is Shane Waldron, who did a phenomenal job as the offensive coordinator last year. Um, He did the I'm going to fight with Russell Wilson about playing Russ ball or like running a real offense thing. And ultimately he won because Denver's over there playing Russ ball and Shane Waldron produced a playoff team and a playoff offense and a, you know, top 10 quarterback out of Geno Smith running that McVay scheme um, that has been made so famous around the league. Um, I mean, I think that another year of this from Geno Smith puts Shane Waldron firmly in the head coaching conversations after this upcoming season, uh, you know, again, he should be there now. He got rushed yeah, to 40 I mean, like, passing touchdowns. He should be there. Is there a world where Pete Carroll like does a Bruce Arians and hands the keys to Shane Waldron and is like, okay, we've put this great thing together. I don't know if we'll be a Super Bowl team, but I can't, you know, like I'm 72 years old. I'm ready to walk away, but you deserve this type situation. Maybe we'll see. Um, but if not here, then definitely somewhere else. I, like I said, if, if Geno Smith, let's say we're talking next year about Geno Smith being a top 10 quarterback, I almost guarantee you Shane Waldron has a head coaching job somewhere. Um, maybe, maybe uh, I, I don't even know where. I don't know where. Like who's, what's a good team 
that could potentially have a coach on the hot seat? I mean, the Chargers, but I think they have their replacement planned and the offensive coordinator. Yeah, true. And then if that's the case, Ben Johnson's going to be the hot hire. Well, everybody's looking for an offensive guru, so. No, I mean, that's like anything that opens. Hopefully Mike McCarthy, because I I don't know how long Jerry can cover for him. If they don't live up to their expectations, they got to kick him. Yeah. I definitely think that that's a real conversation, especially. But the one thing was like, the one thing that I think will keep um, Mike McCarthy around is that like, he's kind of going to let Jerry coach through him. Yeah, he's going to let Jerry coach through him. And that's not something that's going to happen with every other coach in the NFL. So, all right, done with the coaching conversation. Let's move on to the schedule. Um, And it's not easy. In fact, you said it was easy. And I'm pretty sure I like backspace that because I was looking at the schedule and I was like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? They get the AFC North, which is, you know, that's four games that I can't imagine they're more than two or three point favorites in, if they're favorites at all. Um, They get their own division, which, you know, I guess the Rams and the Cardinals, those are two, I'd say they win three out of four of those games, uh, the four games that they have to play against them. Uh, But they do have to play San Francisco twice. And then they also get... The NFC East, where you have to play Philly, you got to play Dallas, you got to play New York. Those, those are going to be rough games as well. They do finish second, so they're going to get Detroit and New Orleans, Carolina, Carolina. Yep, yeah. New Orleans isn't on the schedule. Um, this is a pretty rough schedule. They got the over/under set at eight and a half wins, so that means winning season, not winning season. As good as Seattle was last year, they won nine games, so. You've got to say, if you're betting over, they have to be as good as they were last year. There's a world where that happens because they add a Devon Witherspoon, they add a Draymond Jones, they add a Jackson Smith and Jake Butt, and you just roster to roster, it's a better roster. But Geno Smith was a 10-year career backup. And there's a world where this was a flash in the pan, one-season wonder, and the Seahawks take a step back even with this fantastic roster. I guess the question to you is, which one is it going to be? I think they can manage. Also, I looked up the over-under win total, and it was the same as whatever the team before was. And I was like, oh, he definitely had the schedule in there right. And I looked at what was the Lions schedule, I guess. And I was like, that's cakewalk. Uh, yeah, no yeah, wonder. Yeah. And it hadn't yeah, been changed I yet. To I was like, that oh, that's too. easy. Because like, sometimes you change it in there, so then I've like... <laughs> Well, damn it, I can't remember what the last one was before that, and then I'll leave it for a little bit, and then I'll have to go double-check it. But it's, but I think they they can definitely go 4-0 in those first four games. I mean, the Lions without Jamison Williams, they can strap up, double-team Amon Ross St. Brown, and then leave Bobby Wagner camped in the middle of the field for Jameer. Yeah, with all those safeties, too. Like, Yeah, they have the numbers for it. Giants, they should beat. They play the Rams twice. They play the Cardinals twice. Uh, commanders they should be able to beat, and then Titans probably should be able to beat. Steelers will be a hard game. And then it's a lot of coin tosses. Like, they could probably snag one from the Niners, maybe. I'm not too big on that. San Francisco's got their number. It's had their number for a few years now. It depends on who's at quarterback. They're always changing that. Also true. <laughs> uh, Ravens, NFC, or AFC North, they can probably... If they're good two and two in that, they're probably happy. But the first four weeks... They should, should 
go four now. Yeah, and then they play the Cardinals they twice. Their bye week, but the problem with that is that early you get your out, that's a that is the earliest bye week in the league at, in week five, and you know that's your easily your rough your easiest stretch of four games that they're going to have all season. Like there's not a four game stretch that I can confidently like. I don't think they have a like four game Burrow stretch for the rest of the back. year. Yeah, they they don't have a four game stretch for the rest of the year where they aren't playing a top five team. You know, Actually, from six to nine they've got the Bengals. From ten to thirteen they've got the Niners, and from fourteen to eighteen they got the Eagles and the Niners. So it could catch Burrow his first week back and catch the rust like you guys did the week one of last year. Like just no, we won. That he's game. out of tempo with them, and something's off. So they might get lucky with that if he takes his time on the recovery. Because I don't know, Jamar's obviously not a health expert, but he's saying wait five weeks into the season. If they wait five weeks into the season, their season's probably over. They are at best a wild card um, team. You could, (laughs) I mean, you can put that last quote on there. If they wait five weeks for Joe Burrow to come back, they're at best a wild card team. (laughs) Maybe I might throw that on there. Maybe maybe AFC North's too hard, and they play the Ravens in there at one point. They can't afford to lose to the Ravens. Remember last year? Remember last year? Didn't they start two and three? Yeah, but they had Burrow the whole time, so they were building rhythm, and they're starting fresh from week six. If he waits this long, you're five games into the year. It's a little harder. Well, I mean, they had their confidence shaken by the Almighty Steelers in week one. It's it's hard to come back from that. Back Um, to the Seahawks. I do like them, and I think. There's a lot of coin toss games on here, but I think they have like six guaranteed wins. And out of 11 games, you just need to win three more to get above 500 in coin tosses. And I think they can manage that. And the thing is, I think this is a playoff team. And I don't think, I mean, hell in the NFC, they could make the playoffs with eight wins. But I I probably going to go over here. I think they get the nine. I don't like if it was nine and a half, I'd probably pick the under. I'd probably stay just because I don't feel feel as good about ten. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I talked about it with Gino, and that might be, like, one of my biggest concerns on this team. He completed 51% of his big-time throws. Like, that's a crazy number. Like, if, you, if you're a quarter – like, Patrick Mahomes and those guys are completing 33%, 35%, like, and they're happy with that. And he completed 51%. Like, that's – it's not even like <sighs> it's play a question of pick. Just opens up so much it's, for them, though. They scheme and, it well. Yeah, and the running game's going to be very good. I – all right, I'm I'm all I'm all in on over. So to wrap up here, head on over to the final uh, rankings. We have their offense at tenth. We have their defense at thirteenth. So very close. Comes out to you know eleven and a half. We got them at twelve because we can't rank them eleven and a half. Um, <laughs> championship window we have is cracked open. Now you sometimes write in the championship window. You had it as open. I, I mean, I didn't want to put, put it as I didn't know what verbiage to use. I was like, it's kind of open. Yeah. Like, like that was like a, a they need a small miracle, but it's open. Yeah, like they like have that the was an executive decision to put because I didn't I didn't want to put open either. Like I'd been doing closed. I'm pretty sure I've done closed or open, and I haven't. You know, this is the first one where it's any kind of not closed. Um, so we got cracked open here. Like especially in this NFC, I think if this team was in the AFC, I'd have to put like one year away because. You don't know what you're going to get from Geno this year. Maybe they are looking for another quarterback. Who knows? Blah, blah, blah. But in this NFC where they are, if you do the math here, they are our fourth-ranked team in the NFC. If you're the fourth-ranked team, I think you can definitely say, well, we have a shot at a Super Bowl appearance. And, you know, that's why it's cracked open. I don't know if we'll have another team that's cracked open. Um, but 
that's like the best way that I can put analysis on the Seahawks yeah, like, for next year and their championship window. If one of those three teams ahead of them suffers like a big injury, which can always happen, and they have just a hot streak at the right time, they could easily end up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, in this division, you look at a team like San Francisco where the quarterback situation has been a carousel for the last few years, and what if the magic runs out and they just I, don't <laughs> find Brock Purdy in the seventh round again? And Have you just... looked at their track record since their Super Bowl? They either make it to the NFC Championship, the Super Bowl, or they're like dead last in the division. Yeah, They are so flip-flop. Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't think that they're going to be last in this division. That would be quite now, a task I mean, to do to get behind Arizona. To get behind Arizona. I don't think it's going to happen. So 49ers to the NFC Championship confirmed, uh, unfortunately, for Seattle fans <laughs> and you know Dallas or Philly fans. Um Offense at 10th, how do you feel about that? You know, we got the playmakers at 4th. We got the quarterback at 15th. We have the offensive line at 21st. Averages out a little bit. I think that the fact that they have one of the biggest strengths really in the NFL in that playmaker group uh, definitely boosts them up here. But what are your thoughts? I think it's pretty accurate because they're definitely having to make up for everything else. It's kind of like the secondary group with the defense. They are pulling the weight of the group. And it kind of limits how low they can actually go. Even with Geno as our fence rider of the year, right in the middle of the pack. And I think the offensive line takes a few leaps. They could definitely end up closer to the top five, not quite in there, I don't think. Just because Geno. No, offense. Offense, not offensive line. No, they could be top half of the league. They're not going to make it there. But I think if they all go a little better, then they'll be close to top five total unit in the NFL for offense in general. But. It's kind of Geno-dependent, I think. Yeah, and then defense at 13th, you know, we're very high on the secondary, but I think we both voiced uh, some fair concerns on the front seven there. It's very, like, pass rush dependent. And Let me read the then... exact number of yards per game. 150.2 rushing yards per game given up. Yep. Geno better complete them fucking passes because um, if they give up that many yards on the ground per game, especially in a division where you're going to have to play San Francisco twice. And, you know, they did it last year, and that's how they got shredded in the wildcard round is because they played San Francisco, who not only ran all over them, but also set up Tariq Reek Woolen um, with a bunch of stop routes um, that, like, shredded him to death. And, you know, that's Trayvon Diggs in a nutshell. Um, I don't know. I feel like 10th. And 13th for the offensive defense is very fair. I think 12th for the team is very fair. This is a team that, you know, again, mathematically, this would this is a playoff team. This is your number five seed. Um, well, technically, since we haven't released one of Philly or Dallas yet, it would be your sixth seed, which is just very unfortunate how the NF- NFL does things where we have the division winners of the NFC North at 14th and the technical NFC division South. winners of the NFC South at 18th. Um but that's just kind of how it is. This isn't the NBA, um, where it's just one through seven or one through eight. Um, yeah, Seattle is cool again. Solid team. Closing thoughts? I think this could be a team that flashes a lot. They're going to be fun to watch no matter what. Obviously, keep an eye on them for fantasy because of that massive playmaker section yeah, that we brought like up. they've got like five guys that are going to get drafted in a lot of leagues. 
all three of the starting receivers, two of the running backs, Kenny Mack, if and you're in a deeper league and need it, and then Fan if you're like if you're nuts. <laughs> if you're begging for tight ends on a street corner. <laughs> yeah. Um Wow, awkward. Okay. Um <laughs> We're gonna close this one out here. Um yeah, just be sure to uh do the like subscribe thing. You know, we've got 11 teams left. We are getting closer and closer to that number one spot. Um, I'm very excited. Oh yeah. Please to... let us know if you oh, think Russell Wilson is a hall of famer in the comments. Oh, yes. Good one. That's a big yes. one. Yes. Please Hot comment button. if you want to, you know, say how poor he played and you know, okay. Mitchell gave his official stance, which it was a resounding maybe because the Denver years. I, I don't think it. he is at this point. It's very weird because I don't think that what we saw from Russell Wilson last year is what we see from Russell Wilson for the rest of his career. Maybe not until like the last year, the last two years, which hell that could be coming next year, uh, the way he's playing. Um, well, not with that contract, but um, I'm also resounding maybe because <laughs> I remember Russell Wilson as Every, year in and year out was a top five quarterback. And there's very few guys that were like that for an eight to 10 year stretch. Like that's, that's saying something. Not a lot of, not a lot of guys can do that um, on a year to year basis. But the MVP votes thing, um, that Super Bowl that he won was not exactly like a uh, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> Super Bowl where it was like, you know, he brought them here he won the game. It wasn't close. You're absolutely correct. And maybe he's got two if and, the old, uh, uh, old Petey hands the ball off there. So that's another thing it, that you got to be putting into consideration, but he doesn't have the hardware for it. So His former uh, teammates seem to be spoken out about him. The yeah. Super Bowl Legion of Boom. It's, now, I think a lot of things are coming out of the closet about him, about how maybe they were covering up for him a lot. Oh, Lord, like, dude. It's and, just the with with richard sherman going on talk shows now and like being on oh know, he's gonna be on undisputed every day and denver if they're anything like they were last year are going to be one of the first two or three things that gets brought up as a headline and richard sherman's gonna air every bit of dirty laundry that possibly happened in that seattle locker room on a week-to-week basis that just want to cover that richard sherman and skip bayless as much as like undisputed and first take and that is kind of falling out of favor with a lot of people rightfully so that's going to be fun at least for like the first couple episodes it's going to be super fun is you know especially after his ran on him and like 2012 or whatever that's like that's more so like obviously Richard Sherman is a very intellectual being he has a lot of football knowledge he's been great on tv uh for Amazon Prime I really like like I think the Prime TV crew was really good like I, yeah. especially for it to be year one, I think they did really well. If it wasn't on Amazon Prime, I'd say it's must watch TV. But it's on Amazon Prime, and only yeah, so many people are going to go on there. It's must watch streaming. Um, <laughs> I definitely like that's. We're definitely not going to head into this conversation. People have already clicked off. All right. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. Tell us about Russell Wilson's Hall of Fame case. Tell us what you think about the Seattle Seahawks in 2023, and we will be back very shortly with the number eleven team in our power rankings so with that for mitchell mcdonald and myself jaden kozak we are out of here peace